It, it, as Steve said, I've been here a few times before, and it really is great to be back. Um, when you're on a journey um, with God, it's great to have traveling companions, isn't it? To actually have people who strengthen you. And since I've got to know Steve and the team, that's just been what's happened for us. You, you guys have strengthened us. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged that there's a sense of that we can bring strength as well. So what I'd like us to think about this morning is just the, the journey ahead that God has for his church. He has for you, he has for us in Leicester. Um, because I think it's at a key time for us. We're in a unique time in, in church history, and I think we really have to understand what God's trying to do at this time. So I don't know how you're, you're doing at the beginning of this new year. Um, I don't know how your New Year's resolutions are going. How many gym memberships were started? Are you still going? Uh, how many diets have started? Are you still going? If you were, you weren't this morning because you've been eating your pastries. Um, but just something I read recently that's totally confusing but shows how analysis can be misleading. So this is what it said. The Chinese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British, Australians, or Americans. The French eat a lot of fat and also suffer fewer heart attacks than the Australians, British, and Americans. The Japanese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British, Australians, or Americans. And the Italians drink excessive amounts of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans, Australians, and the British. The Germans drink a lot of beer and eat a lot of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British, Australians, or Americans. And the South Americans eat lots of chili and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British, Australians, or American. So the conclusion is, eat what you like. It's speaking English that kills you. <laughs> so that just shows you that you can get a whole lot of analysis... And it completely misleads you, and you completely misunderstand the point. And the question I've got is, how would you analyze, and how, what would your analysis be of the state of the church in our nation, in your experience of it in our nation? It's fantastic we've been looking globally. I think we've got so much to learn from the guys that go overseas about what it is we're called to do back home, and the church abroad as well. But what would, what would be a word that you would use to describe the church. So we've had what the word of God says, and that's all true in terms of we're a chosen people, we're a holy nation, we're a royal priesthood, and we're to declare the praise of God. That's all truth. But in terms of an analysis of the state of where we are at the moment, I wonder what, what word you would use. Just a moment for you to choose that word. I've chosen a word. It's not a word from the Lord, just to be really clear on this, because it's not necessarily a very complimentary word. Uh, and so this word is incompetent. So, so I'm, does, I'm trying to not get invited back, okay? You'd be pleased to see this. So I'm not talking about your church and the group of churches here or Oxford Community Church. I'm talking about the church in the nation. But I want us to understand I'm not just talking about churches that we look down on. I hope you don't look down on churches, but we do. And, uh, and, and certainly within my denomination, uh, the Church of England, um, we're like the dad's army at prayer quite often. We're, we're older, we're in small groups, we, uh, we have plans for what we're doing, but they're irrelevant to the enemy, they make no impact. Uh, and so often that's what the Church of England is like, and I look at it and I pray for it, and, and, I, and I think we just see the weakness in it. But I'm talking about every single church in this nation that we are all incompetent. That 
we are all in the same boat in not knowing and not understanding and not being able to be all that God wants us to be. In terms of a definition of being incompetent, it says not having or showing the necessary skills for doing something successfully. And so whichever church you're in, and sometimes we do compare, as I said, between different churches. Whichever church you represent this morning, we're all in the same boat. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing them at myself as well. And I'm saying that I want us to recognize that we, we don't yet have or show everything that we need in order to be the church of Jesus Christ that he's calling us to be in order to fulfill the mission that he has for us in this nation. And, I, and, and, and realizing the truth can really set us free. That's what Jesus said. And I'm not saying that's the whole story because there's so much that God is doing that I'm excited about. But I really do believe that it's an aspect of the story that we really need to understand. That actually where we are today is, is we lack what we need in order to fulfill the mission. Let, let's just think about it in terms of scripture. Let's, let's read this together. Um, from Joshua chapter 3. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. You've never been this way before. What's the story in this context? It is that the people of God have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, they've, they've got to the, um, the, the banks of the Jordan. They're going to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, into Canaan. And Moses has died. Joshua has been appointed the leader of the people. And this generation of people have known nothing but wandering in the wilderness. That's their only experience of life. That's the only context for their life up until now in terms of following God. What does that look like? That's looked like the fiery pillar and the cloud leading them. It's looked like manna every day. It's looked like water from rocks. It's looked like quails when they needed it. That's what life and following God was. They wandered in the wilderness. They weren't to settle there. They'd learned nothing about that. And now they stand on the banks of the Jordan And God says to them, this is how you need to enter the land. You're to keep the Ark of the Covenant in front of you. And that's the the representation of where the presence of God was held. And he says, the reason why you have to just have me ahead of you is because you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go because you've never been this way before. And so he says, let the priests carry the Ark And they'll lead you into the land and my spirit will cause them to go exactly where you need to go and will help you to understand where to be. And in that place where I call you, I will enable you to receive my revelation. You'll learn how to eat the fruit because the manna is going to stop and how to enjoy the blessings of that land. I'm going to lead you in how you take the land, how you settle the land, how you um, conquer cities, how you take possession of the land that I have for you. But you're going to need to keep my presence ahead of you because you You've never been this way before. And for us as the church in this country, I really believe that the reason why we have to just own a sense of incompetence is for a couple of reasons. And the first is, is that the landscape has changed. 
the territory has changed. And we know this already, don't we, that actually the shape of our churches was formed and developed in another land. And that land was the land of Christendom, where everybody or the majority um, had a sense of uh, honoring the Christian faith, seeing its goodness, believing in Jesus Christ, knowing the gospel, even if they didn't follow it. And so the church was just to gather people who were ready and willing to follow Jesus Christ. And now that the landscape's changed completely, so that actually we're now in a new territory, a new land, in which in post-modernity, um, the church is now on the edge of that society. It's not at the center. People don't know the gospel. There's no inheritance of faith from one generation to another. It's fantastic. We're praying for the young people this morning. It's a, one of the crucial parts of what we're called to as a church is to see the next generation reached and to see what we're meant to look like as a church for them, not just for us. But, but the inherited form of church was from another land, and we're now trying to work out what it needs to look like for the new territory, for the missionary context, for the, for the nation that is going away from God, and yet God has entrusted us with the gospel. And in order for us to, to faithfully share that, we have to learn what he's doing. And I think at the moment what God is doing in his church is he's, is he's reshaping it. He's reforming it. He's renewing it so that we understand who we're and how we're called to be in this new context. So if you don't believe what I'm saying, let's read what Dallas Willard says about this. He's one of the, the best writers on discipleship at the moment, I think. So this is what he says in his book, The Greater Mission. The greatest issue facing the world today, not just the church, but the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by professional culture who are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. I love that last phrase. What, what does it mean? It does, what's a disciple? It is somebody who's learning from Jesus Christ how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven in every corner of human existence. And so what he's saying is, is that because the church is the hope of the world and the light of the world, the greatest challenge for the world is whether you and me, who are the church, the disciples of Jesus Christ, will not just be Christians and follow an inherited model of church and culture that actually has been formed in a way that has undermined real discipleship and mission because it was from another land, whether we will actually own the title of being a disciple and go on the mission that Jesus has called us to, and that will mean allowing him to reshape us and teach us and that we learn and grow to be the people that he's called us to be. Somebody else called Tom Wright, who's a theologian, put it this way. He says, imagine that you find, and, 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 uh, and historians find, uh, an undiscovered, a previously unknown work of Shakespeare. But this work of Shakespeare is not complete. There are four acts, but it's clear that there should have been a fifth act. He says, what would we do? What we would do is we would read the first four acts, and then we would teach those to the actors and bring them together. And then we would get them to improvise the fifth act in accordance with the four that had preceded. And he said, that's what the church is meant to do in every generation. 
that we're meant to take the previous four acts that we have in Scripture, creation, fall, um, Israel, Jesus Christ, and then the fifth act is the era of the church, the pouring out of the Spirit in the New Covenant. But it's not written down. We've got the first bit of it, but it's not written down, and so we haven't got a script to follow And the reason we don't have a script to follow is we're not meant to just reproduce it in the same form in any generation. We're meant to improvise. But our improvisation is meant to be consistent with the previous four acts. But it's meant to be expressed through us in the moment that we're doing that. And so under the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to be a church that improvises, that discovers and learns what we're meant to be and do in this era, in this nation, in this context. And when I went to Holy Trinity six years ago, um, I, was, uh, I was encouraged by some people who were there to apply for the job. I really felt God was calling me to it. I rang the bishop up, and this is how it works in the Church of England. I said, Bishop, I'd love to apply for this job. What do you think? He says, yes, I'll let you apply for it, but I don't, don't think you'll get it, John, because it's too big a job for you. I said, well, thanks for your encouragement, Bishop. Um, I think I'll apply, I'll apply anyway. So I applied, and you have to fill in a form. That's how you apply in the Church of England. So you write an application form, and one of the questions is, what's the, what's the biggest issue facing the church today? And I said, the biggest issue is whether or not we will truly discover what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ in this time. And I wrote that, and they had applications from all around the world, they only selected me because they said that is what we are committed to. They say, we want to find out what it means to be Jesus' disciples in this place and in this city. And over the last six years, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to, to, to learn and we've been, we've been acknowledging our, our incompetence and saying, Lord Jesus, would you please teach us what it means to be the church and your disciples today? Because the job of the church is to proclaim the gospel in every generation afresh. And we have to hold on to the content, but we have to let go of the form of what we've inherited. And the problem is, so often, the church has got them around the wrong way. We've held on to the form, but we've sat loose and been actually, and certainly other churches and churches within the Church of England have been very loose with the content. But actually our job is to say, we've got the content, this is the gospel, but what does it look like today in a way that it's going to touch and transform the lives of people around us? And so this is our vision statement at Holy Trinity. Holy Trinity Church will be a community of missional disciples who will transform the city of Leicester beyond and beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wrote that about five years ago. That's what we're still seeking and pursuing and on our knees before God for. And early on after I'd written that, um, I was in a worship service. And as I was worshiping, I felt the Lord speak to me. And the Lord said this to me. He says, do I have permission to break your pride? Oh, okay. So immediately I gave him an answer and that's no. Because that does not sound very much fun. But then I realized the foolishness of my initial response, and I said to God, I said, I don't know what that means, but I give you that permission. And I'm so glad that I did, because what we've been on over the past five years has been a journey that has required God to set me free from preconceived ideas and ways of doing things. He's had to set me free from a sense that I know how to do it. 
You see, the problem is, is that for the early church, they were incompetent when the Holy Spirit fell on them, but they had no fixed pattern, and they were able to be the church that transformed Jerusalem and beyond immediately because they were, just, they were desperate for God to show them what to do because they didn't know what to do. They were working it out at every stage. But the danger for me, the danger for you, is that we think we know how to do it. And we don't. We know how to do some of it, but we don't yet know how to do it. And we need to be in a place of humility. For, for me, this, this vision in terms of transforming the city of Leicester and beyond is, is what we feel called to. But it is so impossible for us, unless God does something, that the impossibility creates the humility. And for you, in wherever you're called to, you have the same call. You've been entrusted by the same Jesus Christ with the same amazing truth of the gospel, the same empowering presence of his Holy Spirit, and you're called to the the same beautiful people who he died for and he loved. And yet, if you're like us, you look at it and you go, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how we're going to reach these people. There's too many. There's 300,000 in in Leicester. I don't know what the ratio is for you and your community between the numbers in your church and the numbers around you. And even with all the other churches around you, you say, God, this is impossible. We don't know how to do this. But the impossibility creates the humility. And in the humility becomes the possibility that God might do something with us. And that's why we have to just acknowledge that we're on this journey And that we have this call to be disciples of Jesus Christ who together as the church multiply um, more disciples of Jesus Christ that transform this nation and bring it back to God. And that's the impossible journey that we're on. But we're with a God for whom nothing is impossible if we will just put ourselves in his hands. And so this is what God is doing with us. We're the toddler and he's the father. And he's saying, you're going to have to learn to walk, church. You're going to have to learn how to walk in a new way. You're going to have to learn some new things. You're going to have to grow. You're going to have to find your way. But I'm going to be holding your hands. It's been lovely having the children in this morning. They speak to us about the freedom of just being children again. And the reason I think it's such a helpful thing uh, to learn from children is because Jesus said we're to be like little children. But as adults... We, we act like adults with God. And as adults, we don't like to learn anything new because to learn anything new requires us to admit we don't know how to do it. And we don't like admitting we don't know how to do it. So I don't know when the last thing was you learned anything new. When did you try something new? When did you do something where you're outside of your comfort zone? One of my staff team challenged me, and he knows I'm so competitive that he just got me at the wrong moment, and he challenged me that we're going to run the Leicester Half Marathon in October. And I don't run. I don't run at all. I don't really walk very far, actually. Um, And so I'm now running. It's not a very pretty sight. So I do it at 6 o'clock in the morning in the dark so that nobody sees me. (laughs) Because there's so much shame about it. I'm just like, and I've got this from couch to 5k from the NHS app and uh, trying to this lady in my ear tells me you can walk now I go oh thank you (laughs) and it's a painful experience I'm doing something I haven't done for years we we don't we 
we're like adults with God. We, we so often don't learn what he wants to teach us because we, we've got fixed and calcified and rigid. Whereas children are free, they dance, they, st- they sit on chairs and almost fall backwards. There's a, there's a freedom in them. And he wants us to be like children. So he's the father and, and you're the toddler. And when a toddler's learning to walk, they fall. And they get it wrong. And when they fall and they get it wrong, I hope as a parent, if you're a parent, you don't do this. You don't say, you stupid little child, why can't you walk? You should be able to walk by now. You, you're just rubbish. You don't, I hope you don't do any of that. <laughs> and, and yet with, with church, we think we're meant to get this right on day one. We're meant to get it right first time. And we criticize the others around us. We say, why haven't you got that right yet? But God doesn't do that with us because he knows that to get us to a place where we've learned these lessons requires us to try it, requires us to grow, requires us to fall, requires us to experience the pain and the frustration of that. But he knows that in him it is is a work that is producing fruit in the long term because we're learning and we're growing. Neither do when we fall say to our children, oh, you're obviously one of those that wasn't meant to walk. We don't say because a child can't walk to start with, they weren't born to walk. We say, oh, you're going to have to get up and try again. But again, so often in the Christian life, we say, oh, I know it says it there in the word that I'm meant to do this, and I'm meant to do that, and in God and in Christ I can do this. But so often we say, I wasn't meant to do that. That's not me. That's not what God is calling us to. And yet I believe there are some fundamental things that we're all meant to be involved in, and the church is meant to be in, 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 involved in this journey, in this adventure. And yet, because it's been so painful as a step into it, we, we say, I can't do that, that's not me. I got a letter this week from a lady in my church, and, and she said, look, John, I, I don't know how I can stay part of my mission or community, because this is all about mission, and, and actually, I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm rubbish at doing that. And I'm a prophet. And so I'm just going to be in the church and prophesy. And I don't think that I'm going to be involved in mission at all. And she was being really honest with me. But what she was expressing was, I don't know how to do this. I'm incompetent. It's too painful for me to get over this. I'm stuck. And yet I don't believe what she said was the truth. Yes, she's gifted prophetically. But we're all called to be on mission we're all called to participate in it. And we're all called as witnesses of Jesus Christ. And, and the shape of that and what that looks like for each of us is, is unique. And yet we're all called to this mission. But she was expressing the pain of it. So we're going to fall. And we're going to get it wrong. But we've got a heavenly father who has a good call on his church. And he's going to pick us up. And he's going to say, with me you can grow. You can learn what I'm trying to teach you. And you can discover it. So a a disciple is an apprentice, a learner, somebody who has to grow. And we haven't been this way before, friends. We've never been in this territory before as the church. And yet, we can grow in him and learn and be apprentice so that we can become the church that he calls us to be. So I don't know if you've seen this up in and out triangle. Uh, Wave at me if you've ever seen this, please. So I'd say about half in my church when I put this on the screen, they groan at me. (laughs) And they say, oh, not again, John. We're fed up with the triangle. Why are you doing this to us? But the reason I do it to them is because 
We don't know what the church is meant to look like in terms of its shape and exactly its form and anything like that. Remember, the form is something we have to sit loose to and discover it. But we do know what the content of it is. And so what we have to do is we have to keep on digging into what the content is until we then understand how we're called to express it in the context he's put us. And the content of what we're called to as the church is three relationships of upwards, the covenant, to love God, Jesus said, is the first commandment with all that we have. The word there, if you, I'm not sure if you can read it, is, and if it's too small, but chosen. We've already had that this morning, haven't we? Chosen. It all begins with God and his covenant with us. And God's been doing some amazing things in the church, restoring the charismatic gifts to the church, the work of the Spirit. He's been restoring the Father heart of God to his people and the love of God to us. I believe that he's, he's, he's restoring to us now what it means for us to be the body of Christ, the image of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in his people in this time. And, but it all comes out of him. So it begins in him, it starts with him. We have to go deeper with him at a time when we don't know where to go. So upwards. Secondly, inwards, community. To love one another in the way that Jesus Christ has loved us. Again, the church has been wrestling with how to do this. But we're moving from a place where we used to understand church as just attending a Sunday meeting to a place where we're trying to live this call out to love one another in a way that is so much more than just coming to a building on a Sunday. You're on this journey, we're on this journey, but we're called to love one another. And thirdly, we're called outwards in the kingdom to take the love of God that he's put in us outwards in order to to go and to reach the lost and the least and the last. And the challenge for us is that where we've struggled is that we've split the relationship with God inside the church with the, with the outward mission. We, we've domesticated the Holy Spirit and said the gifts of the Spirit are in here and we haven't released people to do it out there. We've, we've bounded the church within a building and we haven't connected the living community of faith that Jesus said was the evidence of, that we are his disciples, that we love one another. We haven't contextualized it and taken it out into the world and said this is what it is to be church this is what God's done in us this is the love that we've shared so we we need to somehow bring together the the loving one another with God and the outward mission in a way that people begin to see what God has done in us and that it's not just individuals being sent out on their own in mission but we as the church are on mission families on mission together and going out with all that God has put in us. And we don't know how to do that because we've not done that before. We need to have a vision of the church that says we want to see multiplication, not just addition, because that's what the kingdom looks like. What does that mean? It means that actually when a person comes to faith, our vision for them is not that they just get kept within the church, in the safety of the church, but it is that they are trained and released, and you're doing this already from all that you're doing around the world, and, and sent out in the power of the Spirit, for all that they're meant to do so that they multiply what God's put in them through others coming to know. But I don't know how that's working for you. It's not working very well for us. That people are immediately equipped to disciple another and make another disciple and then make another disciple and that it multiplies. Lord, we're longing for that. I'm longing for that, but I'm not seeing very much of that yet. That we see discipleship not just as Bible study and prayer together, but as mission 
and that it's all integrated together. It's the whole thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So we've been on a journey in the last five years in which we've been following a strategy of missional communities. It's been an incredibly painful journey because we were doing the previous version of church really well. Not bragging, but we were doing it really well. We had over 40 small groups, and they were looking after people. And we were, anybody that did get added to our number was looked after really well. But I said to the church, this is what we're like. We are like the gold reserve of the Bank of England. Everybody that comes in gets kept very, very safely. But we were meant to be a post office, sorting everything. It comes in and then sending it out to the right place. And so somehow we had to break out of what we were in order to become what God was calling us to be. And that meant that we went on a journey, and over the past five years, each one of those 40 groups has folded over time, and we formed 18 missional communities, more actually because four of those failed. And those missional communities, some of those have multiplied. And what excites me now is that we, we have a sense of freedom to follow the Spirit and discover what we're meant to be. And, and I mentioned miss, missional communities because that's what we felt we're called to. I, I'm not an advocate of, of, of the vehicle. I'm an advocate of the vision of, of the missionary church that is multiplying disciples and transforming the nation. The vehicle that gets us there can be a whole variety of things. It might not, missional communities isn't necessarily for you, but the principles of connecting our relationship with God, our relationship with one another out in mission, so that no longer saying actually we're trying to get people in, but we're going out, is, is what I really feel that God is calling us to. And so now, those missional communities, they'll meet out on a Sunday once a month. I had, we had all kinds of pain as we went through. How are we going to stay and keep the, the teaching truth into people's lives high enough. We're going to get flabby. We're going to go away from God's word. When we're doing mission together as, as groups, instead of studying the Bible, aren't we at risk of going off, of, away from error? I said, honestly, I really don't think more information is what we need. We need more transformation. And the truth has been that that's what we've learned. So people don't, aren't always in our church building on a Sunday morning anymore. They're out there doing a worship thing for their community. And so we've been on this journey. We've been through incredible pain for two years. It was incredibly painful as we tried to learn some lessons and we went through this change. We went through this, the challenges of um, not even really knowing how to have fun together, <laughs> of how to be community together, how to share our lives together, actually really love one another. We, we went through the pain of realizing we don't share our lives with any non-Christians. I had to go through that pain as a pastor. We realized that actually Satan had managed to sh silence the church so that we never ever spoke about our faith in the places where we knew um, people who didn't yet believe in Jesus. We had to go on a journey of how do we release people to speak of the gospel again. All of these have been painful journeys, but we have seen the grace of God in our midst. So just a few little stories. So um, each of our mission communities just has a little logo. In the top corner, you've got Thrive. This was started by Frances. She's a, she's a young mum. She wanted to start one for, for young families. She started this group. They went through all kinds of pain because all they did was run events. And after about six months, everybody was exhausted. And then we said, oh, okay, we just need to share lives together and then discover what God's asking us to do. 
And when they took the pressure off, they began to love one another and then began to see how they could include their non-Christian friends. Last year, she came to me. She said, I'm really struggling to leave this anymore. It's just feeling a bit too much. We talked about what she was doing and we discovered that her weekend away that she'd just led, she'd taken 80 people away. Half of those were non-Christians. And then we looked at the community and we discovered there were, there were over 100 people in this community. And we said, I think you better multiply. <laughs> so they multiplied. And, uh, and you can see there down the bottom, we've got footsteps. Footsteps I was with this week, they were running a parenting course. Again, it's a young families group. And they were running it, 20, 20 adults in a room. 10 of them were Christians. 10 of them were non-Christians. And they're sharing their lives. And they just feel, I think this is what we might do. Nobody's told them to do it from the leadership. They're, they're following the call of God and trying to be disciples and see people transformed. A quarter of our missional community members, and they're members, they're not just people who come to an event, but they're members who take part in the decision-making, who go away together. All the, they don't yet believe in Jesus because they've been included. They've been welcomed. This, on this Thrive, when they went away for the weekend, one of the non-Christian families came to Francis and, and said to her, can we pay for anybody who can't afford to go? Because we are a family together and we don't want anybody to be excluded. They're non-Christians, but they've caught the value and they've caught the vision. And they're coming to faith. They've come to faith now, actually. Um, stepping out. Stepping out is for people who like walking. As you know, I hate walking. And so I've never been to this missional community. Um, <laughs> But they like to walk, and again, uh, they've seen a number of people come to faith. I married uh, one of those, the guy right on the right-hand side of the bottom picture, uh, met a member of our church. Uh, they got married. Uh, he's been totally transformed in, in, through uh, this. And what I get excited about is that what we're seeing is, I don't know what Alpha's like in your church, but we used to have people come to Alpha from all kinds of different connections, and trying to get them to stick in church was almost impossible at times. They'd come to faith in some way, but getting them into church. And, and so what we find now is that they come into missional communities. They're already in. They then come to faith as people bring them on Alpha, and they go back into their missional community, and they're discipled by a member of that missional community, not the church separately. And it's, it's transforming our mission and our evangelism. They've just multiplied because the guys on the right wanted to do something far more extreme. They wanted to climb ice things and rocks and all kinds of stuff like that. So they've now, so stepping out is just the, the, the guys that don't want to do more than just a, a, a walk around the countryside have stayed together. And then these guys have gone into something called extreme. And, uh, and they're sharing their lives with other guys that want to do the same. And it's, it's real. And you go away together and you share your life and you rely on each other and, and people are opening up to the gospel. A final story. Focus. Friends of Clarendon Park and Stony Gate is an area of, of Leicester. Um, they, they managed to grow their missional community. They did all kinds of fun things together. And then the Church of England church in that community um, lost its vicar and the diocese said, you're not going to get another vicar. Focus said, why don't we leave the church? So we went to the diocese. The diocese said, okay, I think you're the best option. And they've now planted a church. And that, that wasn't on their heart, but it was God led them to that place. He gave them a heart for their community. They're already in that community. Uh, there were 80 of them. And so for them to then go into that church was already a plant that had life and strength. And, and, and it's flourishing. So as I said, 
I'm incompetent. I'm not standing here in any way somebody who's saying, I've got it all right. But I'm saying that God is trying to teach his church some things about mission and discipleship. And I know you're trying to learn the same things. And if it's been painful, then actually that's part of the journey. But we do it not because we get it all right all the time, but because we were created to walk. We we might be like the toddler at the moment, but you and I were created to walk and to stand up and to be the church that transforms this nation, your community, this society. And the only way we'll get there is by admitting that we don't know it all and being willing to be shaped and moved and changed um, by God as he leads us forward. And so as we finish together, what I'd love us to do is just to acknowledge a little bit of humility together. And I wonder if you'd be willing just to kneel with me, if you're able to kneel, and, and for us just to pray and just to say to God, Lord, we don't know how to do this, but we're yours, and we long for you to use us. So if you're willing to do that, or if, and I'm sorry if you're not able to do that, but you know that's in your heart and how to do that in your heart, let's kneel together. And I'm just going to pray just a short prayer, but I want us then just to have a time to express our prayer to God out of this, whatever it might be, and for you to say whatever you need to to God. And so, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love. We thank you for bringing us to know you through Jesus. We thank you for the pouring out of your spirit upon our lives and for making us your own. And we kneel before you now. And we, we humble ourselves before you and we just acknowledge, Lord, that in all you've called us to, in the gospel you've entrusted to us, in the communities that you've placed us in, that we don't know how to do this, Lord. We don't know how to be the church that can see these people transformed and brought to know you, to see these communities transformed. We don't yet even have a vision of what that looks like. And yet, Lord, we're willing to kneel before you and acknowledge our need of you. And so we cry to you now for all that we need. And so if you want to express your prayers, silently or aloud, feel free to do that now. And so, Lord, we pray that as we humble ourselves before you, you would do what your word says, you would raise us up in you to become the people you're calling us to be for your glory's sake. Amen.